testing. That's always like the love-hate email of the year for me. Um, okay, Ani Nelson's going to do our scripture reading this morning. Come on up, Ani. Yeah, you can clap for Ani. Why not? She's very, she's very clap-worthy, you know? I'm using a phone. I don't know if that's sacrilege, but great. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18 is our first section. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 20. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, then then what would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Jalen Baker, and according to Steve McLean, I am newly minted, apparently, as, uh, the, as, as a newly minted elder and officially associate, associate pastor of this church. That happened just last week. Thank you so much. So, I just want to be clear, this is not my new elder outfit. So if I'm being completely honest with you, so I was looking in my closet last night, and I was just completely uninspired. I was just like, these are the ugliest clothes I've ever seen in my life. So I was like, oh, wait, there's a tie. I guess I could wear that. So, that's, so here we are. So here we are. So Sarah McLean looked like, she said that I look like I have a costume on. That I'm like dressed up for Halloween. <laughs> it's amazing how we enter. This is why you don't say things to me before I come up, because I'm going to definitely use it. Um, no, no, it's, it's a little weird. It's, I've gotten a couple of comments. This is not a regular thing. It's just last night in my closet, I just was just completely uninspired. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, so with that, right, 
Um, we are still in our series, Grammar of Faith. Um, it's been an extraordinary series. And the goal of this series is to teach us words, language, and phrases that are familiar to us in our Christian lexicon, and our Christian vernacular. But we're really trying to be clear, what do these things mean? And not only what do they mean, how do they apply to our everyday lived realities as Christians? So we've come along, and now today we've come to a term called the church. Today we're going to be unpacking what is the church. Let's go to God in prayer and see what he has for us this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much just for the gift of your church, for the gift of the opportunity to come together, to gather, and fellowship. And God, truly, truly, truly be sanctified by you, be consecrated by God, we're so thankful that you are our God, and you have called this people. You've called many people around the world to you. You call them your people, your church. This morning, Lord, we're just thankful. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Upon this rock, I will build my church. These were the words Jesus utters to Peter. Upon this rock, I will build my church. I'm going to go to the slides now so that I don't forget them later on. So we're going to go early. All right. So Jesus does something very interesting in, 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 our, in, in our first text this morning. So we talked about this a little bit or a lot in the John series of how when Jesus says things, and anytime he does things, is never what meets the eye. There's always a deeper reality underneath the surface. And our God, Jesus, man, he did something really cool here. So in the Greek, Petros is Peter's name in the Greek. Let's go to that next slide real quick. So Petros is Peter's name in the Greek, and it means stone. So when he says, I call you Peter, I call you Petros. Translated as stone. But then he says, when he says on this rock, he uses a different Greek word, Petra. And what is this? A collection of rocks knitted together to form a larger slab. This is fascinating because Jesus says, Peter, since you are the one who confessed me as Savior, since you are the one who has named me as Messiah, sent from God, right? I'm going to use your name to begin to build this theology, this robust ecclesiology of the church. So, Peter, your name is great, but I'm going to use a different word now. I'm going to use the word Petra. And what is this? A collection of rocks knitted together to form a larger slab. So the church then is going to be a collection of individuals who confess my name. And based on these collection of individuals' confession of me, I'm going to build my church on that rock. Isn't that interesting? Jesus be out here, man. So that's what he does. There, there's, there's, there's some wordplay here that Jesus is doing, and it is a precursor to what, call, to what Paul would then call the body of Christ, right? So Paul did not get the body of Christ out of nowhere. He didn't come up with it on his own. Jesus lays the foundation here in Matthew when he's talking to Peter. On this rock, not you, Peter. You're a good dude but not just you, but on this collection of confessional, of, of confessional belief that I am the Savior, on that rock, I will build 
my church. Let's go to one more Greek word. So when we say church, what do we actually mean? Let's go to that next slide, Gwenny. Shout out to Gwenny on the slides today. Let's go. Shout out to Gwenny on the slides. So ecclesia. So church in the, in, in the Greek is spelled, is, is, is this word ecclesia. And what does it mean? It means called out. So when Jesus says, I'm going to, uh, I'm, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, he's saying that I am, I am going to call out a people to myself, right? I'm going to specifically call a people. And this, and this vibes with what we've been talking about the last few weeks with the Imago Dei, right? When God creates humanity in his image, he specifically has a design for them to be ultimately called to himself. It's a return to himself, right? So we talked a few weeks ago about how the image of God was distorted by sin, but it was not destroyed. And one of the, and one of the primary ways that God restores that image is through the church. He restores that image by calling a people to himself. And it, it, it is within that community, it's within that community of believers that we are going to sharpen one another. We're going to imitate one another as we are looking to Jesus, our Savior. So the church specifically is designed for us to restore that image that God had for us since the beginning. May have been distorted, but it was not destroyed. See, I already forgot to read this definition right here. My goodness, I have to get started. So the church is a special called out people chosen by God to become a part of what the Apostle Paul calls the body of Christ. We're going we're to get into that a little bit later. So when we think about the church, the Bible defines the church as a divine institution. Why is it divine? It's divine particularly because of its connection between Jesus and his followers. So it's a divine institution. And Jesus calls all people who confess his name as Savior, who affirmed him as the Messiah, he divinely appoints all who make that confession to the church, which means this. No matter who you are, no matter what your personality type is, when Jesus, when God was creating you in his image, he did not say that this certain Enneagram type was going to be a perfect church member. He didn't say that this particular person who fills out the Myers-Briggs is going to be the perfect church member. No, 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 no. Exactly who you are as you sit right now. The, the, just, just the makeup of who you are, your personality, your flaws, your gifts, your talents, all that you are, God intentionally said, I want you to be a part of my church. So therefore, whoever you are in this place, if you are a part of Jacob's well, God sent you here for the divine reason to serve this community. No one rides the bench here. Why? Because we genuinely believe that if you are here confessing Jesus as your Savior, that means you have something to offer because you're an image bearer. You were created in God's image. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, if you confess Jesus as your Savior, you belong in the church. You've been appointed to the church. And it is true that one does not need to go to church to be saved. 
But one, but once we become saved, we ought to be inspired to go to church, right? We ought to be inspired to go to church because we have been grafted into and adopted into the family of God. And who would turn down the opportunity to join with their family, this, this, this divine family, not a worldly family, because some of y'all might be like, I don't mind staying away from my family, if I'm being honest. I don't mind. I don't mind. And I might join you in that, I might join you in that chorus every once in a while, right? But see, this is a different kind of family. <laughs> this family has been divinely inspired. This family has been uniquely, right here, called out by Jesus himself. This family of image bearers come together so that we all can restore the image that God has put inside of us, that God created us in. So therefore, when we confess Christ as Savior, it ought not discourage us at all to not go to church. It actually ought to inspire us to go to church so that we can be sharpened, so that we can be sanctified through beloved community. Tony Evans, a, guy, a preacher out of Dallas, Texas, has a, has a wonderful way of putting this. Let's go to that next slide, Gwen. Tony Evans, here it is. This is what he said. He says, I often hear people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And they're absolutely right. Salvation is through faith alone, says Tony Evans. But you also technically don't have to go home to be married. But stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected. <laughs> Y'all better stop messing with Tony Evans. <laughs> you, see what he's, you see what he's doing here? Right? When, when Paul also says in, 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 in his epistles that when we think about the love of Christ, we ought to think about the way a bridegroom loves his bride. Right? We ought to think about the particular loving way that someone who is about to enter into this holy, sanctified covenant of marriage, the commitment that a bridegroom makes to his bride is the same commitment that Christ makes to his church. And, and, and here's the thing, here's the thing, right? Since we have been adopted into the church, since Christ has pledged his love to us just like a bridegroom to his bride, when we don't come home, when we don't show up in the house of Christ, the, the house that Christ has built, our relationship will be affected, right? So this is not extracurricular. This is not, this is not optional. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And let me tell you something. If Jesus thought that you going on a coffee date with your homeboy or your homegirl, was going to be enough for, for you to have a beloved community? He would have said something like that. But he said, I'm going to build the institution of the church. I'm going to build, I'm going to create it in such a way to where it is going to be knitted together, just like Petros, it's going to be knitted together, a community of believers who gather in my name. And as lovely as a coffee date with your homeboy, your homegirl might be, as lovely as a lunch date might be, when you're reading the word together, it ain't the church. It ain't, it ain't beloved community, right? He calls us specially, uniquely to be in beloved community. 
like Tony Evans said. Technically, you ain't got to go back home to be married. But show up, to, say to your wife one day, I'll see you in a few weeks. Good luck. See you when you get back. My God, I can't, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine it. Can you, can you imagine it, right? The relationship has to be tended to. And one of the primary ways that we attend to our relationship with God is through the church. It is through the church. Now, let's get into this. So what is the purpose of the church? We're going we're to look at this in a few ways, but, but before we dive into it systematically, I want to just talk a little bit about how much God loves the church. He, I mean, he loves us so deeply. And when we think about the church, if God is the ground and goal of the church, right, God created the church specifically for his pleasure. He created the church because he loves his creation. He loves humanity. And I think that this is, 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 is really embodied in Isaiah 43. Let's go to that, let's go to that scripture, Gwenny. Look at what God says to Israel here. He says, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. Let's keep going, Gwen. Let's keep going. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples, in exchange for your life. Fear not, I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes. All right, we're going to stop right there. That's, that's, that's the next one. But I wanted, you, I, I wanted to share this text with you because when we read this text, I hope you caught some of the language. This is the way a bridegroom would speak about his bride. The way that Jesus lovingly and the way that he passionately speaks about his people. I'm sorry, not Jesus, God, God of the Old Testament. God speaks about, speaks about his people, Right? God creates the church not because of anything that we've done, but he created us because he loves us. He cherishes us, right? He, 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 he glowingly, truly uh, 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 wants us to, to, to be in right relationship with him. That's why he created the church. Right? And when we think about our existence, right, God calls us a special people, a unique people, 
out of a broken world to himself so that we would not be impacted by the brokenness of the world, right? So God says that even though the world is broken, the brokenness of the world does not define your story. The brokenness of the world does not write your story. I am the author of your story. I am the one who guides you, who leads you. The world does not define you. I do. And that is why I have called you a special and unique people to myself. Now, the Apostle Paul goes on, and he calls calls the church the body of Christ. It's a familiar phrase for us, the body of Christ. Now, When Paul calls the church the body of Christ, he's not only calling the church the body of Christ as as really a beautiful way to describe the, the unique and special functions that we all have within the church, Christ as the head and many parts that make up the body. But he also calls us the body of Christ because He wants the church to resemble the physical body of Christ. There's that word again, resemble. This word resemble has come up for us in the last few weeks. When we think about the Christian life, Scott said this last week. He says that we're called to be in relation with God. We're called to represent God. And we're also called to resemble God. And when Paul says that we are the body of Christ, He wants to say that our identity as the church should also resemble the physical body of Christ. What does he mean? So the physical body of Christ not only saves us and redeems us, but the physical body of Christ was also the primary means by which God dwelt in the world. Right? So when we talk about the Spirit of God dwelling amongst the people, Jesus' body literally embodied that, literally represents that. And in the same way, God calls the body of Christ, he calls the church to also take up the work of Christ and represent him in the world. So when we think about the church, the church is the primary location where the presence of God can be found, replacing the temple of old in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, you found the presence of God, truly it was confined to the temple. You found it in the temple. But now, if you want to find the presence of God, you look no further than the church. The church takes up this presence. We have been endowed with the spirit of God. And now we go out into the world and represent this spirit just like Jesus did. So again, it's not accidental. He doesn't just call us the body of Christ as a beautiful metaphor of of, of, of how we're all called uniquely to this body. But he calls us the body of Christ because we quite literally represent Christ's body in the world right? We are the body of Christ. And truly, we have become a special agent of God's grace, 
God's mercy. And when we go out into the world, we are called, just like Jesus did, to, 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 to tell the world, to share with the world the truth of who God is and the truth of his grace and mercy, just like Christ. So we not only are the body of Christ metaphorically, but we're called to resemble the actual body of Christ. Now, let's, let's, let's dig into this a little bit more systematically. So when we think about what are the purposes of the church, we've got three things. I'm doing pretty good on the slides right now. I'm so proud of myself. Okay, three primary purposes of the church. Here we go. So the, per the church has purposes that extend to, number one, upward toward God through our worship, two, outward to the world through our witness, and three, inward within the church and how we nurture one another. So let's go through these one at a time. The church has purposes that extend, number one, upward toward God in our worship. So Jesus' chief command, love God, love your neighbor, right? Love God. So loving God is one of the primary purposes that we have as a church. Why is that? Because loving God truly makes a statement, not only to us, but to the world, that everything we do, everything we are, aligns with who God is and his will for our life. So us loving God is designating every, all of who we are to him. And here's the thing about loving God. This is what I, this, this is what I love about loving God. Loving God also aligns us with his purpose and his will for our lives. So as I love God, I begin to love the things he loves and hate the things he hates. So particularly, I begin to hate the sin that God hates in my life. And, 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 and whereas I used to didn't mind doing certain things, I don't like those things anymore. I don't walk the way I used to walk. I don't talk the way I used to talk because my love for God has fundamentally changed my nature and it has transformed my desire. So now my love for him has aligned me with his plans for my life. And that's very, very important. So loving God, seeking God transforms us. And see, so here's the thing. When we think about this in our everyday lives, when it comes to loving our children, loving our friends, loving our coworkers, loving our spouses, right? We mess up on all of these fronts all the time. Let's be honest with ourselves. We mess up. And oftentimes, you know what we try to do? We try to work our way toward a better way, uh, work our way toward a better way of loving these people. But see, what we truly sometimes understand is that our own work cannot transform us in the way that, 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 that God is truly calling us to love the people in our lives, right? So it's like we cannot work our way to holiness. We cannot work our way by our, by our own might to sanctification, right? We need God. We truly and desperately need God. God. 
So, so, so loving God, and how, what, what does love look like? Loving God literally means you involving him in your life through the reading of the word, through prayer, through worship, intentional acts every single day consistently will change you. And this transformation, this change will automatically impact how you're loving the people in your life. Relationships can be reconciled. Forgiveness can be had through you being transformed by the love of Christ, right? So when the church comes together, the upward worship of our God alone is one of the primary purposes of the church because it is in us worshiping God that we begin to stand out and be fundamentally transformed by God. That way, when we're in the world, we look totally different than what the world has to offer. So worshiping God, the upward, going upward toward God is the first primary purpose of the church. Number two, the church has purposes that extend outward to the world, to our witness. This is, this, is, this is vitally important. And I think this is where we emphasize the locality of the church, right? The locality of the church. So God has not only called you to this specific church, He's also called you to the specific location where you live, right? So in the location that you live, there are people there who are in desperate need of the Spirit of God. And can I just say this? There are people, wherever you live, they could be Christian or non-Christian, quite honestly. All people need the Spirit of God. All people do, right? So even if you might be, let's say, in a very Christian environment, can I, can I just say, hey, man, Chris, we need, we need the Spirit of God too, right? Because we struggle all the time. There is stuff going on in our lives as Christians that fundamentally need to be transformed. So do not let your guard down just because you're in a Christian environment. Allow God to use you even there, Right? Allow God to use you even there. But, 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 but wherever you are, whatever location that you might be in, God has called you there as a representative of his kingdom, as someone who embodies and who has been endowed with his spirit. God has called you there to share the love of Christ, to be a light in that particular situation and local context. Right? And see, church, we need to just simply, see, 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 do not over-dramatize your witness, my God. Don't be so dramatic, right? Pray to the Lord, Lord, how do you want to use me in this space? Truly, how do you want to use me, God? If it's just saying hello to my next, to, to the teacher in the next room and being nice, Lord, I would do that, Right? How do you want to use me here? Go to God genuinely and say this, and I dare you to be obedient. Be obedient to what God is telling you to do in your local context and in your local environment. Because see, here's the thing. When we're obedient to the call, I love God so much. See, here's the thing. God knows 
exactly what the people need in your environment. So that's why God put you there. He put you there because he knows what they need. So therefore, he's going to tell you what they need by using you in that space, right? So therefore, do not, do, do not underestimate what God can do through you in whatever environment that you may be in, right? right? Ain't nobody asking you to be a fire and brimstone preacher. Ain't nobody asking you to stand on, on, on some kind of bucket and say, you going to hell? Ain't nobody asking you to do that. Some, God is simply saying, I need you to seek me. I need you to truly seek my counsel because the people in your, envi- in your environment, they need me. They need my love. They need my grace. And you are a representative. You are a carrier of my love and grace. So don't you dare be stingy. Don't you dare hold it in. I need you to be a witness to the world of my love and of my grace. Don't be dramatic. Don't dramatize it. Because y'all know how we get. Oh, I don't want people to hate me. I don't want them not to like me. Being nice to somebody ain't going to make them hate you. Saying hello, saying good morning to somebody intentionally, they're going to be like, that was very refreshing. Thank you for seeing me. I've, been, I, I've gone through this entire day, and no one has really noticed me. You're the first person to ask me how I'm doing, and I thank you for that. And the truth is this, right? Jesus does say that you will suffer persecution for my name's sake. So yes, there might be times in your life when you're just being an obedient witness to the Lord. Where, where the world could hate you, not because they hate necessarily what you're saying, but because you're convicting them. You're convicting them, right? And, that, and see, everybody don't know what to do with conviction. Everybody don't know what to do with conviction. Sometimes we don't know what to do with conviction as Christians, right? So the world, and so if we don't know how to deal with it sometimes, imagine how the world's going to feel, right? But do not let that be a deterrent to you let that be an indicator that, wow, I pushed a button here. The Holy Spirit knew something was off here. The Holy Spirit knew that I needed to be a witness here, and I was obedient to that. I can't control if somebody accepts it or not. I can't control if somebody accepts this call. I just have to be obedient, right? And see, as Christians, it is in these times when we have to remember also that God will always be the provider that he is in your life no matter what situation you're in. God will always provide, right? He will always provide. And though you might be persecuted in the workplace, in the world, you know where you ain't going to be persecuted? In this place, in the church. This is why God calls us together as a community because he knows how toxic the world is. He knows it, Right? And because the world is so toxic, it is extraordinarily difficult to live in the world sometimes, right? All the time, Loki, all the time. He says, I'm going to bring, I, I've called you to be a people, a body of Christ. But here in this place, you will be affirmed as an image bearer. You will be affirmed as someone who has been uniquely called to the body of Christ. Amen? Don't be dramatic. 
Number three, last one. The purpose of the church also extends to, extends, oh, what's, what's, what's the words I'm looking for here? The church, the, the church has purposes that extend inward within the church, nurture. Let's go to that, let's go to that last scripture, Gwyneth. Let's go to that last joint, last one. Look at this one. This is John 13, 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you, says Jesus, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We're also called to love each other, y'all. We're also called to love each other. Here's the thing. If we don't love each other right, <laughs> how do we expect to love the world right? Right? This is such an important commandment that Jesus gives. Because, again, Jesus understands, right, it's not only the world that needs love. My followers need love, too. Yeah, Jesus never forgets about you, right? Because as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we go through stuff. Life is hard. Life is difficult. And Jesus is saying, I'm not simply calling you to just be a witness. I'm also calling you to be loved, to be loved by your siblings, your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm also calling you in that to love on your siblings because life is hard, right? So within the church, when we go through hard times, when we go through hard circumstances, y'all, we got to share. We got to be open and honest and vulnerable so that we can take up this new commandment. So when you are in care group, I truly challenge you, share what you're going through. Share it with your, with your brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can embody the new commandment to love one another, truly. And what, is, what does this love look like? So the, the New Testament has many, many, many ways that, that, that we are called to love one another. Love one another can look like forgiving one another, reconciling one another, praying for one another, edifying one another, right? It can look like, at times, submitting to one another. It can also look like, at times, sharing hard truths with one another, right? That's love, too. That's also love. And we cannot embody this love of the New Testament and of the Bible if we're not vulnerable with each other, right? We are what? A family of God. We've been adopted. We have been formally, formally and divinely adopted by God, our Father in heaven. We're siblings. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we're not treating each other like brothers and sisters in Christ, we will not be formed enough to go out and witness. That's a part of our formation, by loving our brother well, loving our sister well, right? And Jesus calls us to this. He calls us to what? Worship, witness, and nurture. And, and, and I have to also say this, right, given that this is the church, Jesus calls us to a pastoral love. What does this mean? It comes to a pastoral love in that as the 
chief shepherd, right? Jesus guides the church and he leads the church. But he also appoints under shepherds, right? Pastors, elders, and teachers, right? And while this, that, those, 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 while those particular positions are, 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 are sort of called only by a few, that does not mean that pastoral love isn't a communal task, right? We are, so pastors and teachers and elders, we're called to lead you and showing you and, and, and embodying the love of Christ and sort of role modeling, role modeling that for you, right? That's a call that we've, had, that, that, we've, that we've taken upon our lives, right? And as we do that, we extend, we're extending that call through Christ to you the church, right? So don't just depend on your pastors to love the community. <laughs> We're only, what is it, four of us? Don't just depend on the D team to love the community and teach the community. D team actually going deep. It's, what is it, like 10 of us now? <laughs> it's like the D team going deep now. It's not up to us. It's not just on us. It's on us all. God calls all of us to worship, to witness, and to nurture. You know what's interesting about this? And I'm coming to a close. What's interesting about this is that when we look at these three uh, purposes of the church, they resemble in many ways the Holy Spirit, the, the, the Holy Trinity, the Holy Trinity. How is that? So when we think about the worship of God, the worship of God is fundamentally found in the source of the Father. When we think about witnessing to the world, we witness to the world through the example of Jesus and the example that he set for us and by embodying his principle, the son. And when it comes to loving one another, to nurturing one another, we do that through the ministerial love of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit changes us, transforms us, and, and, and enables us to love each other as Christ loves us. How about the Holy Trinity out here, right? Truly, out, truly embodying what the church is meant to be. The three purposes that we have this morning for the church can be found in the ministry and work of the Holy Trinity. I end with this. My prayer this morning for us is that we have been, that, that, that things have been illuminated for you, you can walk out of here saying, I know what the church is. I know these Greek words. Let's get it. You know what I'm saying? I got three new Greek words in my vocabulary. I pray things have been illuminated for you. I pray that you have been convicted, right, and inspired, because being a witness in today's world is excruciatingly hard. It's difficult. It is the truth. But, it is, but, 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 the, but the difficulty of the task does not match the power of our God, right? The difficulty of the task in no way outmatches the power of our God. God is able to still use the church in this culture and in this world. In an increasingly secular culture where it's hard out here to be a witness for the Lord, right? That does not stifle the voice of our God in calling us to still be a faithful witness to the specific 
locales and locations where he has put you. Intentionality. God is God. God puts you wherever you are. Because he said there are people in that space who are in need of a savior. There are people in that space who are in need of the grace and love that can only be offered by Jesus Christ. And as a carrier of that love, as a carrier of that grace, you are uniquely qualified and called out to be a witness in that space. And yes, I hope you feel inspired. Inspired to love the person sitting next to you. Love the person that you have decided to be in community with. Love your fellow church member, but more importantly, your sibling in Christ, your brother and sister in Christ. I hope you feel inspired that Jesus thought highly enough to say, I'm going to come and be with my creation. I'm going to come and be with my disciples and show them what it looks like to love one another. And in that example, we pick it up and we bear one another's burdens. We care for one another. So I hope you feel inspired. And church, I'm thankful. I don't know about you this morning, but I'm thankful for the church, capital C, and I'm, and I'm peacock proud. <laughs> peacock proud to be a part of this church, small c, Jacob's well. So let us take up the call that God has called the church to and be the community of believers, be the Petros that Jesus said he was going to build the church on. As confessing believers, let us do what we have been called to do. Let us be what we have been called to be. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you, Lord, for the gift that is the church. Thank you, God, for calling us, your people, uniquely calling us out of a broken world, out of a distorted world. And God, you have said that I'm going to use this church, the church you created, the church you initiated, the church that you love so preciously. I'm going to use this church not only to restore the image that you created us in, but you're also going to restore the world through us as you restore us, Lord. Oh, God, we're thankful. We're thankful for your power. We're thankful for your spirit. We're thankful that you called us. You called us in, in, in the uniqueness of who we are and the uniqueness of our personalities, and the uniqueness of our giftings. You created us, called us. That we say, thank you. Thankful, God. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.